the reality is as leaders, we've got to get better at understanding and making clear what the expectations and the outputs are. And if we will do a better job of that, we'll be in a far better position to decide where we ought to be working. I don't know how remote the future is, but I know that the future of work is flexible. Today on In Session, Leading the Judiciary, we talk with Kevin Eikenberry, organizational expert and co-author of The Long Distance Leader, Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. According to Eikenberry, the pandemic compacted about 30 years of organizational change into just three years. As a result, leaders can no longer rely on what made them successful pre-pandemic. In a remote or hybrid workplace, leaders must be more intentional about building relationships that engender commitment rather than just compliance, and focus more on accomplishment rather than just employee activity. Kevin Eikenberry is founder and chief potential officer of the Kevin Eikenberry Group and co-founder of the Remote Leadership Institute. He has improved the communication, leadership, learning, teams, and teamwork of organizations worldwide for over 25 years. Kevin's been named one of Inc.com's top 100 worldwide experts in leadership and management and is the author of several books, including The Long Distance Leader, Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership, and The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success, released in 2023. Special thanks to today's guest host, Philip Munoz, Deputy Chief U.S. Probation Officer in the District of Arizona. Philip, take it away. Kevin, I'd like to ask you, this book was published two years before the worldwide pandemic hit, which makes me wonder whether you had some sort of premonition about the coming global challenge that we would be facing. No, I, I had no premonition whatsoever. But what we already did know is that there was a movement more people working at a distance more of the time. My team is spread out across eight states. And so we had been and I have been living this and working with clients on this for a very long time. That's, that's the short answer. Perhaps good timing. You lay out the premise of the book really clearly. You say that leading a team at a distance is first and foremost about leadership. And the principles of leadership haven't changed. But how we apply the timeless principles of leadership in this new world matters a great deal. And so I'd like to ask you, what are your top three rules for remarkable remote leadership, would you say? The most important one you hinted at, which is think leadership first, location second. That way more is the same than different. Do all of the things that are changing in our world. We, we have a societal change in how we think about work, that's true. Even for people who have continued to and will always work, you know, in proximity. Like the world is thinking differently about work than ever before. Even given that, it's still more about leadership than anything else. And so it's not like we have to scrub everything we knew and start over. We need to lean in on what the leadership principles are. It's the context that we need to take into account. Now, one of the things that we have to do differently when we're leading a, a remote team, a hybrid team, a team at distance, whatever, what, flexible team, whatever you're calling it, we have to do almost everything with more intention. Example, if everyone's in the office, we see each other in the hallway and we have a little conversations, right? And that doesn't guarantee that we have strong working relationships, but it gives us a chance to get to know each other and to be connected in ways that we might not otherwise. But if 
but if I'm leading a team at a distance, which as I've said, I am, and I know that you are as well, then we have to be much more intentional of building and maintaining those relationships with our team members. We have to find ways to stay connected, to be connected, to make it an intentional part of our work to maintain and build those relationships. And you talk about the timeless principles of leadership. What would you say to leaders today about how to best apply them? One of the things that we introduced in the book is what we call the 3-0 model of leadership. Leadership is about reaching valuable outcomes with and through others, which is two of the three O's, outcomes. We're doing work to achieve something, outcomes, but it's other people that are doing it and we're not doing it by ourselves. Now, if we're doing it at a distance, the outcomes may not be different, but if they're doing it without that proximity, it changes the the, the way we communicate, the way we collaborate, how cohesive our team is, et cetera, et cetera. And the third O is ourselves. And certainly one of the things that's helped me make sense of what's happening in, in the workplace now is those three O's, that there's a tension between outcomes and others. Organizations are saying, we have to get these outcomes. So maybe we're saying, we need you to come back to the office or need you to come back to the office more of the time. But Oftentimes, it's ourselves, the the leader themselves, that's driving that, not always in the best possible ways. If you read most of the studies, 90% of people say, I want to work at home. Well, that's sort of predictable, right? Um, 85, 90%. But it's, it's not the right question. And if we ask a better question, we get a more informed answer. And the better question is asking a team member, where would you be working to get the best possible outcomes for the organization? And then it's more like 70% will say, I ought to be in the office once in a while. Now, then we could could discuss what once in a while means, right? But when when you frame the question, not about what you want, but what do we need, way more people will say, we ought to be in the office at least some of the time. Here's the interesting piece, that a lot of team members are saying, Why do I need to come in the office if I'm going to do exactly the same thing I did at home? To which I would say, you are 100% correct. On the days that you're coming to the office, if that's going to be our approach, then we need to do different work. We can certainly collaborate at a distance. And when we're in the same physical space, in many ways, it's easier or better to collaborate. So, or we can collaborate in different ways, right? That we can't always perfectly replicate at distance. So on the days we're together, that's when we should be having most of our meetings. Now, some of you who are listening, remember what it was like to work from home on a day back in say 2019, 18 or 19. And on that day, man, you got so much done because you weren't being interrupted all day. But that wasn't the experience that we had during the pandemic. We were working from home, but we were being interrupted all of the time. Microsoft's data says, based on Microsoft Teams, that people are in more than twice as many meetings than they were before, right? So if we're going to bring people back together, we need to be clear about why, and we need to change the nature of the work when we are together to leverage the advantages of together and the advantages of distance. And, and, and I think that's the biggest key. You know, a lot of people because I've written three books that have the words long distance in them, people think that I'm kind of the, hey, everyone ought to work remotely. And because I lead a remote team, hey, everyone's teams ought to be remote. That is not my perspective at all. My perspective is what does our output, what do our outcomes say that tell us about where we ought to work? What would be a really 
good solution for us. That doesn't mean that there's a right answer for everyone. We continue to encourage organizations, even now, you know, in in nearing the middle of 2023 to continue to try stuff, to continue to pilot stuff, continue to figure out how can we get great results and take care of our folks, outcomes and others. Now, let me ask you this. Is widespread remote work here to stay or will it be short-lived? What, what is your prediction? Oh, more people will work at distance, at least some of the time in the future than ever did before. The, the genie is out of the bottle. Now, is the migration back? back is to the office. Is that done? I don't think anyone can say that for sure. 30 years from now, there's going to be all sorts of really interesting case studies because what we've done is compacted about 30 years of of organization and work change into three. And so, you know, it's going to be very fascinating as to why to change things, right? We've got municipalities saying to senior executives, man, you got to bring people back because our downtown's going to die. Like we, we got, we got people in commercial real estate saying, really, uh, you can't do, I mean, like there's all sorts of factors here. It's also the factors of senior leaders. Uh, and, and I know that you all can't see me that, but that have the hair, the color of mine, which is gray who were successful in a world that says, I, I know what it's like to come to the office. I know what it's like to network with people there. I know how, how it's, what it's like to find mentors. And you know what? I was successful and we were successful that way. And I, I want my folks to have that same chance at success. So to sort of discount or toss senior leaders under the bus for saying you need to bring you need to all come back and just calling them old and decrepit in many ways i think we need to grant them some grace because all they're trying to do is to get back to what they absolutely knew worked and what we don't know now is nearly as much as absolute right if the pandemic taught us anything about leadership it taught us that we need to better understand our folks what's going on with them what their challenges are, what their hopes and dreams are, being more empathetic. And I think that we, we, we can't lose that lesson that I think many of us sort of figured out during the pandemic. We can't lose that. And in fact, we need to lean into it because it's by leading in that way that we have the chance to create a workplace of the future that can be highly effective and be a win for everyone. Right, both for the outcomes and for the others. And I would say this I don't know how remote the future is, but I know that the future of work is flexible. Talk to us a little bit about the challenges of leadership in a widely remote hybrid environment. What do you mean when you say remote leadership is a first order change? Well, it's a first order change because it does change so much about the way that we've led. And suddenly, even though the principles of the value of trust, uh, the need to coach, like we could go make a long list of those principles didn't change, but how we do them may change a lot. So it's a first order change because it's not just sort of off there. Oh, by the way, I ought to figure that out. Like it's right in front of us all day, every day, all day long. And that's really what we mean by that. You also share in your book about the failures of remote working. I honestly think that there are a lot of leaders that are wanting people back because they haven't figured out how to lead differently, not because their folks haven't figured out how to do work. There are a lot of leaders who 
haven't figured out that there's a difference between activity and accomplishment. So a lot, a lot of leaders early in the pandemic would say to us, how can I tell if they're working? And I said, you couldn't tell if they were working when they were in the building. You're like, what do you mean? I said, unless you were looking over their shoulders, all you could see is they were at their computer. And I'm not being cynical. I'm being realistic. You've all heard the story. What Man, they are a hard worker. They're here when I get there and they're here when I leave. And I'm like, okay, awesome. Are they getting anything accomplished? Right. Yeah, what are the outcomes again? Exactly. It's about the outcomes. It's about what we accomplished, not how long it took us to do it. I'll give you a, tell you a quick story. Pre-pandemic, the average American had a 27-minute commute each direction. So we're talking about the average American an hour commute a day. Okay. And so, and we knew that. And we asked thousands of people on virtual workshops this question, what are you doing with your hour? What are you doing with the time you used to spend commuting? And th there were several answers and some really good ones and, you know, et cetera. But the number one answer, about 50% of people, well, I'm working. And so my next question always was, so are you getting more accomplished? And I didn't get an answer near as quickly. And so if we're spending more time to get the same amount done, we are not more productive. We are less productive. Right? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we should come, that we, oh, they're less productive. They need to come back to the office. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's not just leaders that aren't thinking about productivity the right way. It's all of us. And so uh, productivity has a numerator and a denominator. Right? And so... Output per unit effort, output per unit time. The reality is, as leaders, we've got to get better at understanding and making clear what the expectations and the outputs are. And if we will do a better job of that, we'll be in a far better position to decide where we ought to be working and what, uh, what amount of the time. Is the balance shifted in a remote environment? Do remote leaders manage more? That's a really good question. I think that some, and I think it kind of relates to what we were just talking about. I think some have sort of leaned back in the direction of, you know, managing the numbers and managing the stuff. Um, but there are many leaders that have leaned the other way and have gotten, you know, have become more aware of the needs of their folks, have become more aware about mental fitness and mental health, for example. Um, so I, I don't know that I could make a blanket statement, but I can tell you that a lot of organizations that have have made announcements or, or have implemented new plans for people to be in the office two, three, four days a week, whatever that is, haven't done a great job of giving clear reasons why that's the decision. And so it feels to the teams that they're just trying to manage us, right? I, I am not, I'm not saying that there aren't good reasons why. I've been on the inside of many of these organizations as a consultant. Haven't done as good a job as they could have in, making, in stating the case for why we're making a change back to the office some of the time. That a leader really is then focused on influence rather than on control? The most effective leaders realize that they are in the influence business, that we can't really control people 
anyway. And if you go in Google management and leadership, you'll see a whole bunch of stuff, most of which I won't agree with, because most of it will say management bad, leadership good. But what I would say is both are super important. Both are part of our job. It's not a good cop, bad cop scenario, right? The good cop, bad cop scenario is, do I want my folks to simply comply or do I want them to be committed? And I believe the best leaders, their goal is to build and find and engender commitment and not simply compliance. You provide a remote leadership model, which is visualized by gears, with the middle one being tools and technology. Why do you say that tools and technology, why that gear is the one that is most different when leading remotely? Imagine the pandemic happening in 1975. Think about the economic impact that it had on the world today versus what it would have had before we had the tools and technology that enabled us to make it work. So it's those tools in that middle gear that we have to become conversant with, comfortable with, confident in using so that we can get the outcomes we need. Like there's this intermediary, right? The intermediary is the tools and the technology. We got thrown into using Microsoft Teams or Zoom. If we want to lead more effectively, we need to lean into the technologies, be more confident and comfortable with them. Like all of us got to some base level because we had to, like we know where to turn on the camera or not in Zoom, for example, right? but that doesn't mean we can, we're using Zoom in the way that we could to have our meetings be more effective and more collaborative. Like, have you had a meeting in Zoom, for example, where you put people in breakout rooms to work on something rather than all of us being in the main room? Like, you've been in a meeting with 12 people where you said that end of the table, this end of the table, we're going to talk. Like, but have you done that in Zoom? There's just a simple example. And so do you know that you can? Are you using it? Are you using it when you should use it? Right. And it's not just that, but when we're all in the office, basically we had two ways of communicating. When I see you in the hallway or I'll send you an email. Well, now we got like 16 ways that we can use and all of them have strengths and weaknesses. And we've got to get smart about when to use which ones to get the best possible results. We didn't have to think about that before. Now we do. So staying with technology, How do we coach and get authentic feedback in that remote environment? Well, I lead largely a remote team and have for over a decade. So I've coached, and and most of my coaching are coaching clients that I work with, executives and, and senior leaders that I coach. Many of them I never meet in person. So we can absolutely coach at distance, right? But I would say one thing that those listening to us don't have the advantage of what you and I have right now, which is we're looking at each other on cameras. And so I want to use tools that create space and opportunity for it to be as rich a communication as possible, which in in the case of coaching was like, man, we should probably be on our cameras so we can see each other because there's so much more that we can get in both of us in the communication that way than without it. Uh, But that doesn't mean that every moment has to be that way. It also means that if we're going to coach at a distance, we have to look for those informal times because they're not going to happen the oh, by the ways in the hallway. And so it goes back to that being intentional piece, but it also is making sure that we're creating ways to make the conversation work best. This particular area of the book really struck me, uh, Kevin, I, I will tell you, because 
especially when, when you're getting feedback remotely, we're not able to read body languages easily. And so the lesson for me was really assuming positive intent. Can you explain the golden suggestion and give us an example of it in, in practice? Well, yeah, most of us think of, you know, do unto others the way um, you would want them to do unto you or something along that. We, we, we say the golden suggestion is do unto others in ways that work best for them. In other words, send messages in ways that work for them, not necessarily for you. The message doesn't need to be different, but the way it's delivered may need to be different. I'm not trying to say that we need to soften it or change the message, just change the way we deliver it so people will actually get it. Why do you say trust is harder to build and more easily broken on remote teams? I'm not the baseball fan that I was when I was a kid, but if you have 600 at bats, Every single at-bat doesn't mean as much to your batting average as if you have 10 at-bats. If you have 10 at-bats and if you want to hit 300, like every one that you miss puts more pressure on the next one. Every interaction carries with it more weight because if we mess up one, it may be longer before the next one. And with fewer interactions, every one takes on greater importance. What advice would you share with us about how we either build or rebuild trust with our team and among team members that may have been fractured, if you will. Well, if it's been fractured, we need to talk about it. We need, and we need, to, we need to get that on the table and talk about it. I'll just say this about trust. And as you look it up in the dictionary, trust is both a noun, trust exists, and trust is a verb. I trust you. The more of the verb we do, the more of the noun we get. So if trust has been fractured, then rather than I'm going to wait for them to prove that they're trustworthy again, I, I need to lean into what can I do to be trusting? And what do I need to be, need to be, to be trustworthy, which takes us back to intention. And as you said, uh, assuming positive intent. And if we do those things, we can rebuild trust far more rapidly than if we sort of sit back and wait for them. And the takeaway for me as I read your book, Kevin, was really this, the trust triangle as being foundational. And it's a key concept to being a successful long distance leader because trust helps you dispel any negative thoughts about your team, for example, maybe not working when you can't see them. And therefore, you've got to really be uh, mindful of even what is happening within your own space and thoughts and mind when managing remotely. Can you explain the asynchronous and synchronous communication and when we should use them? You and I are speaking synchronously, right? We can have a true conversation because we're having it at the same time. But there are lots of technology tools that we use, communication tools that we use that, that aren't really designed for synchronous. I'll give you the example. Like everyone who's listening has been in an email thread that's three or four messages in that's not going so well. But the problem is we try to use email as if it's a synchronous tool, which it's not. Email is awesome for asynchronous communication where I get the chance to read it when I have the chance and respond when I have the chance and the chance to, to think about what I'm responding to. But too many people want to use email and act like it can be 
asynchronous communication. In fact, the rule on our team is if you're three emails in and it's not working very well, someone needs to pick up the phone. Yeah, good advice. In other words, we need to go to synchronous. Like I've had this conversation with team members, with our clients, and with my family. They're texting each other and it's not working. You're both on your phone. Why don't you actually, heaven forbid, talk to each other? Just saying, right? Yeah, yeah. So why do richness and scope matter? And, and how do we find a good balance? The higher level of richness is uh, when, it's, when it's a synchronous conversation and the fewer people. Like the richest possible communication is you and me face-to-face in real time. And everything else has less richness, right? So scope is, if something has high scope, I can send that blanket email to 75 people and they all get a message at exactly the same time. That's high scope, but very low richness. And so the point here is that every tool or every approach that we could take to communicating is a trade-off between richness and scope. When we start to think about the nature of our communication, the nature of our particular communication goal, we can start to say how much richness versus how much scope do we need? right? Like this, this podcast is high scope. Lots of you can hear it. None of you can ask me a question. Lots and lots and lots of people can listen to this over a long period of time. Great scope, low richness. And so we have to think about how we balance richness and scope all the time in terms of which communication tool we're using to get the results that we want. And how important is it to model boundaries when you're, when you're trying to decide which tool to use? So first of all, if we want our teams to do stuff, they're watching us. That's the first thing I would say. But I'll give you one example. A, a lot of us as leaders see, man, I got a lot to do. And, you know, sometimes I'm going to, on the evening or on the weekend, I'm going to work on my email. No, I don't want my team to do that, but I need to do that. Okay. I've got two things to say. One is don't. But if you have to, make sure you're not sending them emails when you don't want them to be reading them. And you're saying, well, how can I do both? Well, you go into Outlook and you click two buttons and you delay delivery. So people will get emails at eight o'clock on Monday morning, but they're not going to get emails at four o'clock Sunday afternoon or 4.30 Monday morning or whatever that time would be for you. Because here's the thing, even if you tell them you don't want them to respond, they've got devices, they're seeing it. And even if they're not responding By typing, they're responding in their head and they're thinking, man, I want to be the first one to respond. Just don't do it. Create boundaries for yourself. Live to those boundaries and encourage your teams to do the same by your behavior. Good advice. Would you say IT departments might not be the best candidate to provide uh, training on tech tools? Why is that? Well, the thing is that... um, and this is no disrespect to our friends in IT, uh, but but often they want to talk to us about the features and how to deliver on the specific feature. When what we really need to do is what are the things we're trying to accomplish and how do we accomplish those things? It's just that oftentimes when training is built directly around what the tool can do, it doesn't take into account what do we want to use the tool for enough. So it's not that IT people can't teach others how to use tools. It's just that oftentimes the focus is slightly different and that sometimes gets in our way. Kevin, what do organizations most need to know and do to train others to be long distant leaders? If we want 
our leaders to lead in new ways in a new world of working, then we need to give them new tools. That's one of the reasons we wrote the book is to give people the chance to say, uh, I, know, I know you know how to coach or, or there's lots of other ways you can learn how to coach, but how do you do it at a distance, right? Like, so in other words, we need to be incorporating the realities of leading a team at a distance, hybrid or whatever, into the learning that we're providing them. And for as an individual leader uh, to be thinking about that as a part of, of how you're doing your own development, not just, I'm going to lead, I'm going to read another book on leadership, but I'm going to read a book that helps me think about what the differences are doing it at a distance. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you and this topic that we've been talking about today, Kevin? Well, thanks for asking that. Certainly you can go to kevineikenberry.com. That's K-E-V-I-N-E-I-K-E-N, B as in boy, E-R-R-Y.com. And you can find out all of our services, but we have tons and tons of uh, free content there about leading at a distance. And if you can spell my name, you can find me on nearly any social channel. And again, if, if you, for example, on LinkedIn, if you want to connect with me there, let me know that this is where you found us. I'd be happy to be connected, answer any questions that you have. Well, Kevin Eikenberry, thank you very much for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation today. I did as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Philip. And thanks to our listeners. To hear more episodes of this podcast, visit the executive education page on fjc.dcn and click or tap podcast. You can also search for and subscribe to this podcast on your mobile device. In Session, Leading the Judiciary is produced by Shelley Easter. Our program is supported by Lori Murphy, Angela Long, Anna Glashkova, and the entire studio and live production team. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This podcast was produced at U.S. taxpayer expense.